0: Good evening. A glimmer of hope with more talks on the crisis in Ukraine. The Violence Against Women Act looks to be renewed. Mayor Adams and his summer job plan and Jemani Williams is a dad. With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the WBAI News for Tuesday, February 15th, 2022. The world had a glimmer of hope today as some Russian military units apparently pulling back amidst calls for More talks in the crisis looming over the future of Ukraine. Russia's defense and foreign ministers reported to Russian President Vladimir Putin today. Defense Minister Sergei Shoigu says most of the Russian military drills on the Ukrainian border are coming to an end. Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov tells Putin the country has received some concrete proposals from the United States on its security demands. Lavrov has advised the Russian president to keep dialogue open with the West. Meanwhile, President Joe Biden told the nation that while the United States was open to talks, this country had not had yet to see a substantial Russian pullback from Ukraine's borders. But he added whatever Russia does wouldn't deter the NATO alliance from defending Europe's second largest country, short of direct military
1: involvement. The United States is prepared no matter what happens. We are ready with diplomacy to be engaged in diplomacy with Russia and our allies and partners to improve stability and security in Europe as a whole. And we are ready to respond decisively to Russian attack on Ukraine, which is still very much a possibility. While I will not send American servicemen to fight in Ukraine, we have supplied the Ukrainian military with equipment to help them defend themselves. We provided training and advice and intelligence for the same purpose. And make no mistake, the United States will defend every inch of NATO territory with the full force of American power. An attack against one NATO country is an attack against all of us. And the United States' commitment to Article 5 is sacrosanct. Already in response to Russia's buildup of troops, I've sent additional U.S. forces to bolster NATO's eastern flank. If Russia decides to invade, that would also have consequences here at home. But the American people understand that defending democracy and liberty is never without cost. This is a cause that unites Republicans and Democrats. And I want to thank the leaders and members of Congress of both parties who forcefully spoken out in defense of our most basic, most bipartisan, most American principles. I will not pretend this will be painless. There could be impact on our energy prices. So we are taking active steps to alleviate the pressure on our own energy markets and offset raising prices. We're coordinating with major energy energy consumers and producers. We're prepared to deploy all the tools and authority at our disposal to provide relief at the gas pump. We are not seeking direct confrontation with Russia, though I've been clear that if Russia targets Americans in Ukraine, we will respond forcefully. And if Russia attacks the United States or our allies through asymmetric means, like disruptive cyber attacks against our companies or critical infrastructure, we are prepared to respond. Two paths are still open. For the sake of historic responsibility, Russia and the United States share for global stability, for the sake of our common future, to choose diplomacy. But let there be no doubt if Russia commits this breach by invading Ukraine, responsible nations around the world will not hesitate to respond. If we do not stand for freedom. Where it is at risk today will surely pay a steeper price tomorrow.
0: And that's President Biden earlier today. Some details of the talks between Russia and the West slipped out. Putin, speaking after a meeting with German Chancellor Olaf Scholz, says the West has agreed to discuss a plan, uh, a pardon me, a ban on missile deployment to Europe, restrictions on military drills and other confidence building measures, issues that Moscow has put on the table. Years ago, after asked if there could be a war in Europe, Putin said Russia doesn't want it. But the Ukraine's bid to join NATO posed a major security threat to his country. Schultz says diplomatic options are far from exhausted and praised the announcement of a troop withdrawal as a good signal, adding, we hope that more will follow. And a court filing revealed today that Britain's Prince Andrew, who is accused in a lawsuit of sexually abusing a 17-year-old girl supplied to him by financier Jeffrey Epstein, has agreed to settle by making a substantial donation to his accuser's charity and declaring he never meant to malign her character. The deal avoids a trial that would have brought further embarrassment to the monarchy. Besides the undisclosed donation to Virginia Jeffrey's charity, it says Andrew acknowledges she suffered as an abuse victim. It did not specify whether Jeffrey would personally receive money as part of the agreement. Attorney David Boys, representing Jeffrey, told the New York federal judge overseeing the case in a letter that a settlement in principle had been reached and lawyers on both sides would request a dismissal of the lawsuit within a month. And in Washington, a bipartisan group of senators on Wednesday announced that they had reached an agreement on a reauthorization of the Violence Against Women Act after months of negotiations in the chamber. The legislation offers resources for victims of domestic abuse and sexual violence. Democrats Dick Durbin and Dianne Feinstein and Republicans Joni Ernst and Lisa Murkowski led the Senate talks. Durbin, the number two Democrat in the chamber, noted that neither party achieved everything they wanted in the reauthorization. The Illinois senator referred referred to the so-called boyfriend loophole, restricting convicted spousal abusers from accessing firearms, but not imposing the same restrictions on dating partners who have been charged with abuse in some cases. The original Violence Against Women Act was signed in 1994 by then-President Bill Clinton. At the time, it was a landmark moment in the federal government more aggressively penalizing those convicted of domestic abuse as well as to provide legal protections for those who accuse their partners of intimate violence. It was renewed three times by bipartisan majorities but was stalled by partisan gridlock on Capitol Hill until this year. The CEO of the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence is Ruth Glenn. She tells WBAI the bill is needed now and may have prevented tragedies such as the death of 22-year-old Gabby Petito, apparently at the hands of her boyfriend, Brian Laundrie, a case where the cops didn't see the abuse, in part because they hadn't been trained on what to look for.
2: It has built-in funding resources and policies that should be employed across the nation. So the five-year reauthorization does not mean that the funding is ended for the programs. It just means that you become perilously close to having that happen. It also means that the longer that we don't reauthorize, the less chance and opportunities that we have to enhance
0: it. Why did they need a specific law to codify domestic violence
2: there are state laws and sometimes those are employed well and other times they're not the violence against women act gives you what I would call a foundation from which to work from in your state to ensure that it happens but it also provides tools and resources to those states to have that happen with domestic violence sexual assault and stalking there are gaps that this addresses, such as making sure that law enforcement, for instance, has the tools that they need to get training on domestic violence and how they should respond. There are funds in the act that are given to local community providers, sexual assault and domestic violence to ensure that they can provide services to those who have been impacted. It's also about even terminology and how we should use that and ensuring that we have a law that addresses
0: all survivors' needs. The couple that was driving around Abby in Petito. The, the Petito case where the police questioned them and then let them go.
2: That was a perfect example of why we need the Violence Against Women Act and enacted across the nation because those officers, in my opinion, had either not received the training that they needed to because you've made a good point there or there is another issue that we don't know about in which they didn't recognize what was really happening in that situation the violence against women act provides that kind of training Mm -hmm. and tools such as you may need a checklist when you show up as a first responder to say Yeah, we got an imminent threat here, and this person is not the aggressor. The other person is the aggressor. The
0: police would consider the woman the aggressor and then let them both go.
2: It was very strange, and I want to be careful because we do understand that in very few instances, but in some instances you do have the woman as an aggressor or the other party as an aggressor, but the ability to that, so to speak, and do a real assessment on scene is critical because for most of us, we understood exactly what was happening in that particular situation that have training and understand the dynamics of domestic violence, for instance. Mm
0: -hmm. How did a law that's so important, as you describe, and where lives are at stake was allowed to... Expire.
2: Congress is interesting. When you're relying on Congress to take action, it can be challenging. The Senate version was in the works for many, many months advocating so that Congress understands that in the end, this is about people's lives. We have to take the route of ensuring that tools, resources, funding, and all of that is and training is available to prevent what happened in the Petito case, in my opinion. There is a perfect example of why we have to continue to reauthorize in timely to ensure that we have safety and support for victims and survivors.
0: Yeah, the police didn't seem like the redneck cop who doesn't like women, who always hates the guy's side. It was more like they were well-meaning but were mistaken because they weren't properly trained. Yes.
2: I love how you framed that because I do believe that they were thinking they were doing the right thing. I mean, there were some other dynamics there that that we could talk about forever. Mm But you're right. If they had spent more time kind of doing what we would call an assessment about what's really going on here, it's very possible it could have ended up differently.
0: What does the new iteration of the bill mean and when is it is it gonna pass? Is it passed? Does it have to be signed? What's happening next?
2: Yes, the newest information is that it will Absolutely, meet more survivors where they are through what we're able to make available through this new VAWA. We are hoping that in the next two to three weeks we'll see it introduced. When it is, we're hoping that they have the votes to get it passed and send it to the president for signature.
0: That is Ruth Glenn. She's the CEO of the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence. And you're listening to the news on WBAI New York. I'm Paul DiRienzo. Closer to home, some New York City educators say they're outraged by reports that an advocate for charter schools is being named to the New York City Board of Education, known as the Panel for Educational Policy now. Joe Bellick is chair of the SUNY Charter Committee that approves charter schools. Opponents say the schools siphon funding from public schools and in some cases violate student rights. According to Lonnie ha- Hamson executive director of Class Size Matters and co-chair of the Parent Coalition for Student Privacy. Bellisk is wrong for New York City schools.
3: Joe Bellic is the chair of the SUNY Charter Committee, which is a subcommittee of the SUNY Board of Trustees, which Mm -hmm. has authorized two-thirds of the charter schools in New York City and many of the most controversial ones. And the reason that he should not be sitting on the New York City Board of Education is the charter schools have an opposite interest to our public schools. They take money and space away from our public schools for every new charter that is authorized. Uh, New York York City and the Department of Education are already spending more than $2.5 billion, which is taken directly out of the public schools budget for charter schools, Uh, as well as hundreds of millions more to pay for charter school rent uh, because we're the only district in the state and indeed the country that is responsible to pay for charter school rent. And many of the charter schools that SUNY has authorized have been extremely controversial in their tactics and policies, including Success Academy, which has been found by the federal government and the state government For violating student rights in multiple cases and so we really we really do not believe that someone whose top uh, interest is in expanding charter schools um, should be allowed to make decisions on behalf of our public schools it's a clear conflict of interest
4: and
0: why would the mayor support this
3: Eric Adams campaign received seven million dollars from charter school lobby They ran a very active TV campaign on behalf of his mayoral campaign. The ads didn't mention charter schools once, which is another tactic of the charter school lobby because they know charter schools are very controversial. They raise all this money to support candidates and run ads for them without mentioning the words charter schools.
0: What is the future of charter schools? It looks like they were supposed to be an experiment and now it looks like they're, from what you're describing, permanent part of the picture.
3: Unfortunately, I think you're right. One thing is that we have reached a cap, a legal cap, in the number of charter schools that can be authorized in New York City. However, there's a very active campaign to raise that cap, financed by some of the same people who contributed to Eric Adams' campaign. And number two, SUNY has been authorizing new charter schools, uh, despite that cap, by saying they're not new schools, by saying that they're just extensions of existing schools. So they've already tried to get around the law in that way.
0: What explains the popularity of charter schools?
3: Success Academy, which is authorized by the SUNY and Joe Belloc, has been shown in court as having pushed out kids. They had to have a, a multimillion dollar settlement for pushing out kids in federal court they're very strict they generally don't enroll the highest need students including serious special needs students and or english language learners and when they get struggling students enrolled they tend to push them out they also have had very high suspension rates and extremely focused test prep kind of curriculum kids are taking tests all the time and if they're not doing well on these practice tests, they are persuaded to leave or they, the, the school will hold them back often more than once in a, in a row, which then persuades parents to take their kids
0: out of the school. Lonnie Hampson, she's the executive director of Class Size Matter, Matters and co-chair of the Parent Coalition for Student, uh, Student Privacy. She hosts the program Talk Out of School on WBAI every Saturday at 1 p.m. And Mayor Eric Adams met privately with the two legislative uh, leaders in Albany and then met with Democratic members of both houses. But in the end, Adams didn't get any assurance that lawmakers will make the changes he's seeking to the bail law or other criminal justice reforms. And the mayor later seemed to acknowledge he may not get what he wants. While the mayor was holding meetings, supporters of bail reform – held a rally urging Speaker Carl Heastie and Majority Leader Andrea Stewart-Cousins to hold a line on bail and not make any new concessions to the mayor. Mayor Adams has called for the elimination of cash bail. Under current law, some crimes are bail eligible, others are not. The mayor would also like to see judges have discretion in the form of what he calls dangerousness standard to determine who remains locked up after being arrested. That is what other states have done when ending the practice of bail eligible crimes. And New York City is significantly expanding paid job opportunities for youth this summer. The mayor announced that today that the uh, this year's Summer Youth Employment Program, also known as SYEP, will include 90,000 slots, up from about 75,000 before the pandemic hit. Another 10,000 slots will be provided from other city programs, though officials didn't indicate which ones. S.Y.E.P., the Summer Youth Employment Program, provides young people ages 14 to 24 with summer jobs at $15 an hour in fields ranging from retail and government agencies to food service and nonprofit organizations. The mayor spoke at a news conference today.
4: Almost like a law firm, Adams and Adams. (laughs) And we'll help young people get experienced jobs, not just sitting in the park, cleaning up a park, not just, you know, being a messenger. You know, those are good jobs. So don't write the story. Eric is attacking jobs. No, but we want our young people to be exposed. We want them in an environment where they are exposed with the opportunities that other children get. I don't care if it's in Albany, if it's in Washington No matter where we are, when we look at the young people who are being exposed, they don't look like this young man who's standing beside me. So small businesses, nonprofit providers, large retailers, hospitals and city agencies such as Park, Our city agencies must be engaged in part of that exposure, and that is the charge that I'm giving my city agencies. You do internship programs, I want to walk inside, and I want to see the children of my city inside, because interns become employees, and those employees start to lead agencies. We're not in the feeder, so we never get the opportunity to lead the agencies and become the employees overwhelmingly number of young people in my agencies as interns moved on to become my staffers and my employees. If we don't give them a chance, they won't. Mayor Eric Adams. Adams has framed the
0: jobs program expansion as part of a broader plan to combat gun violence and provide a paid summer opportunity for every young person who wants one. The mayor says he worked closely with city council Speaker Jane Adams on the jobs plan. They worked so close, he said, They should be known as Adams and Adams to laughs from other elected uh, electeds at the news conference, as you heard at the uh, you might have heard at the beginning of the last clip. Uh, Jane Adams then had this to say.
5: Today's announcement that S.Y.E.P. and other city programs will provide one hundred thousand summer jobs for our youth ages 14 to 24. It is historic. We know that providing economic opportunity through jobs, workforce development, and other means are vital to public safety. It is especially important that we deliver positive opportunities and pathways during the summer months. When we know that violence tends to spike, we need to ensure that this investment not only engages our young people, but also supports our small businesses as essential partners recovering from the pandemic and improving the well-being of our neighborhoods.
0: And City Council Speaker Jane Adams. The summer jobs program more than doubled in size under former Mayor Bill de Blasio, but whether Adams' commitment of 100,000 slots is enough to guarantee universal youth summer jobs remains murky. Some estimates put the number needed to achieve that goal at 150,000, which is roughly the number of applicants in recent years. There was a decline in 2020 because of the pandemic. During the news conference today, Adams seemed to acknowledge that there was still a gap of tens of thousands of seats to make the program universal, noting that the city had been reaching outside the boundaries of our city administration to get the 30,000-person gap filled. Bill Chong, the commissioner of the Department of Youth and Community Development, which runs the jobs program, told reporters that 100,000 seats would be enough to create a universal jobs program, because a sizable share of summer youth employment participants never or applicants never follow through or find other summer opportunities. Public advocate Jumani Williams was also present. He's tweeted earlier that his wife, India Sneed Williams, had given birth to a daughter yesterday. He wasn't wearing his trademark blazer, but he did have a hat that said dad on it. As the public advocate says, the new baby made his involvement in the SYP a personal matter.
6: I thought it was important to be here, and I appreciate uh, both Adams and Adams for allowing me to be here. I want to make sure the city can see us standing together where we agree, because it is so important that we're all together dealing with this gun violence. When I was the chair of the Task Force to Combat Gun Violence at the city council, we made a report. During that research, we learned that a eight-week summer youth job, eight-week job, can cut violent crime arrests in young people six months after that job. That's how good the data was. I'm so honored to be here with a mayor that we don't have to push back on and a speaker who's already made it a priority. That's an amazing place to be in. Everybody said that the number for, you for, for universal is actually 100,000 because there's always some attrition for people who apply. So as far as I'm concerned, we've achieved universal summer youth jobs, and that's an amazing accomplishment in this city. But what I want to say, none of this is an excuse for someone picking up a gun and shooting people in our city. Mm. I always want to be clear about that. Mm. There obviously has to be accountability and consequences. You can't shoot a baby. You can't shoot police officers. You can't shoot someone in Burger King. You can't do that. But what we've seen too often is spending so much time on the accountability and consequences without providing prevention in the first place, providing the things that we need.
0: Williams was then asked if he'd chosen a name
6: for his daughter. We haven't named her yet. I'm trying to work on it, but... I didn't want to be, I'm getting that question a lot, my wife is mad, but um, obviously when, you you know, when you have your firstborn, things start looking a little different. Mm -hmm. So I need to make sure uh, that she has the resources she needs uh, as she makes it through that NICU and comes in uh, uh, through the process of being an awesome New Yorker. And I'm proud to be a small
0: part of that, but thank you all so much. Public Advocate Jumani Williams. And finally, Mayor Eric Adams blasted the press for its coverage of his nascent administration today, threatening to stop answering reporters' questions because he doesn't like the stories that result. Six weeks after taking office, Adams opened a press conference at City Hall by lashing out at the media, blaming a lack of diversity in newsrooms for the fact that he's covered so critically.
4: How many Blacks have determined how these stories are being written? How many Asians? How many East Indians? How many South Asians? Everybody talks about my government being diversified. What's the diversification in the newsrooms? So everybody go back with their predispositions. And my role as mayor is being interpreted through the prisms of your realities and not mine. So when you write stories, you're not writing stories for people who was almost homeless like me. You're not writing stories for people who were arrested and beat by police officers. You're not writing stories from those who are dealing with high crime. You're writing from your prisons. And I'm not saying this to attack, but my administration is going to be about saying the obvious that other people are uncomfortable with saying. Discomfort is growth.
0: Mayor Adams. There is a long tradition of tension between the press and New York City mayors who've mostly been white. Adams is the city's second black mayor after David Dinkins, who served a single term in the early 1990s. Adams' predecessor, Bill de Blasio, had a famously hostile relationship with the press and was often the butt of tabloid headlines. He ranted against the press in emails. He lost a court Fight to keep private uh, a court. He lost in court uh, a fight to keep private and briefly attempted to hold press conferences where he would only answer on topic questions before relenting when reporters refused to comply. And that's some of the news for Tuesday, February 15th, 2022. The news is produced by Linda Perry, our engineer is Reggie Johnson. From New York City, I'm Paul DiRienzo. Thanks for listening.